Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. The um, fog of the lockdown has really started to actually affect my day-to-day life. Like I'm actually having to start to check what I'm doing pretty much at all times at this point. I'm just always kind of in a in a haze. Uh, earlier today, I was trimming my beard, or I was getting ready to trim my beard, and I was brushing off the trimmer. And there's the trimmer, then there's like the attachment on it that trims my beard to the length that I want it. And I just took the trimmer without the attachment straight to my beard and just notched the hell out of the bottom and just took a big chunk out of it. And then I was I looked at myself and I was like, oh god, Ryan, a disaster, just a mess. Like I'm. At best, I'm just like a bumbling himbo, and at worst, like I shouldn't be behind the wheel of a vehicle. Do not operate heavy machinery while in quarantine. It's okay. It could be worse. You could have natural bald spots like my one right there and then the other one right there. So I just have to deal with that on, you know, a life-to-life basis. Yeah, I understand it's a little bit mean whenever Evan and I bring up beards and we talk to you and then you have the Crosby beard going on. (laughs) Like this is as long as I'm letting it get anymore. Like it's, it's just a, it's pretty much just stubble and that's fine. If, if we're November rolls around, that's my time to shine. But uh, yeah, in between it's, it's rough. I will say, Brad, you do redeem yourself with the mustache. When you lean into the mustache, it's definitely a different look. It's not for everyone, but if you can rock it, you rock it well. Uh, I made fun of Jamie Ben's mustache on the podcast account yesterday because that's all we could do at that point after he won the game for Dallas. And you have a better mustache when you grow it out than Jamie Ben does, which is funny because he has a big beard, but like his mustache, oh, terrible mustache game. Brutal. It's like uh, Jonathan Taze where he can only really grow the mutton chops and everything in between is just a mess, which is literally the exact opposite of what I can grow. So, you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess. Evan, between your spiky hair and you grow a full beard, have you gone as Wolverine at Halloween before? Um, No, I have not. I was you should. To, the only thing I've done that involved a beard was I did Abe Lincoln one year. <laughs> I think that's the picture I send you periodically of you at your Halloween party with your Abe Lincoln costume. That's actually some good context. I yeah, never know was, where that came I think from. that's the only one where I've incorporated a beard specifically. Evan as Abe Lincoln. You'd be a good you'd be a good president, I feel. The bar is very low, so I uh <laughs> I, I, I think I could. I think I could make it work. And depending on your political leanings, that was a favorable comment from Evan for you, and that's as far as we'll travel down that rabbit hole. Anyhow, uh enough idle t- discussion about how our brains are losing it over this uh, lockdown that we're currently in. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Still here and ready to talk hockey. I'm Ryan Hanna. Kind of here. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Say the line. Say the line. Uh, On this episode of the podcast, um, the Red Wings have played two games against the Dallas Stars towards the end of the season, which is usually a recipe for not much has happened, which is exactly the opposite of the truth. So we'll be talking all about those games, uh, what it means for Detroit, as well as uh, discussing some updates um, regarding the team as they close out the season, uh, players who are no longer going to be playing and and the shell of a team, a roster moving forward. Uh, And we'll be discussing some other news. Our prospect profiles will continue. We're going to get to overtime. We're pretty much just going to see where this episode carries us. Um, Before we do all that, 
Uh, as usual, I do want to take this moment to uh, bring attention to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, it's an organization that we've partnered with. Um, it's a children's foundation initiative uh, that was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father, who you'll know as Red Wings lead announcer Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. Please go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to find out more, to donate. Uh, stay tuned. Something uh, coming on that as we approach the end of the season. Um, okay. The Red Wings. Let's how do we want to start this? Do we want to start with the, the Verona game? Do we want to start with the injuries? Maybe let's start with the injuries. It's a choice. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Let's start with the Verona game. Cause I think the injuries is going to be a bigger conversation about Jamie Ben, the department of player safety and all that. Okay. Let's start with the Verona game. Uh, the first of two games Detroit has played uh, since the last time we were on the pod in the third of four consecutive against Dallas. Um, a 7-3 win over Dallas, which is an insane stat line if you are the Detroit Red Wings in 2021, but it is one that happened. Uh, led, of course, by the best performance of the year by any Red Wing, period, Jacob Verona. Four goals um, against Dallas. The Red Wings' <laughs> previous four-goal scorer uh, in a single game was Anthony Mantha against Dallas in a home opener a couple of years ago. So that was just, we were all losing our minds. Want to know how you can tell we've absolutely lost sense of time? That Anthony Mantha home opener, uh, four-goal game, was last season. Sorry, last season? Yep, last was season. It really? Yep. That was a home opener of the 2019 season. Carry the one, yeah. Um, How has yeah. that only been a year? That that feels <laughs> at least two years ago, maybe even longer. I I'm honestly not even sure if I believe you, but I'm too tired and exasperated to go check. So we've been to every home opener for the last few years, Ryan. What was the most recent home opener you were at? I can't, that was a different life, Brad. I can't remember <laughs> the last time I crossed the border. <laughs> I Might actually don't been that game for me. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I wouldn't even know where to find my passport right now. Huh. Great question. Well, Uh-oh. <laughs> I got to text Catherine and be like, do you know where my passport is? So now Ryan's <laughs> making me freak out. Uh, according to the government, you're somewhere in the Middle East at the moment, so you might want to look into that. <laughs> Easy now, Brad. <laughs> at least I could golf there. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, but, well, depending on the course. Anyhow, uh, Jacob run of four goals. Absolutely phenomenal game. Each goal... not everyone was pretty, but wow, has he displayed his shot and his aptitude as a goal scorer for the Red Wings. I don't know. I don't think it's fair to compare his shot to Mantha's. I don't think it's necessarily apples to apples as to the kind of shooter they are, but it certainly feels that whatever the Red Wings lost in shooting prowess from Mantha, it's not that big of a loss. Not to the point where, you know, Detroit also picked up a first and a second round pick from it in Ponick, but we all know how that, you know, he was uh, a cap dump more than anything, but still um, phenomenal performance. Agree that uh, that was the best performance by any Red Wing this season? I mean, no. Might be the next one might be uh, that we're about to talk about is <laughs> definitely contention. It wasn't even the best performance by a Red Wing in the last four days. You really? Okay. 
You don't think that that Verona scoring four goals was the most exciting thing for Red Wings fans this year? Exciting thing, yes. Best performance, no. Okay, well, uh, let's talk a little bit about that game. Outside of Verona's four goals, I think Zadina also had a strong game. Uh, Ponick scored his first goal with the Red Wings. Uh, you know, a set play where he flipped it 100 feet into the air. Uh, <laughs> it was Hudobin bobbled the fair catch. It went down and Ponick scored in a poor man's uh, Statue of Liberty play. Slash the goal counts, the goal counts. Um, embarrassing, I think, for Dallas. Because you're fighting for a playoff spot and you get absolutely pumped by a Red Wings team who is down Larkin, Bertuzzi, Bobby Ryan, you know, the great Franz Nielsen, what have you. Um, Joe Valeno, who obviously would have tipped the scales, wasn't even in, and they get destroyed 7-3. Fun night. That's one of those games that kind of deserves an asterisk because I understand game score matters and circumstance matters and Dallas trailing most of the game is obviously going to affect shot count. Um, them clearly being the more desperate team, but they did outshoot Detroit almost two to one that game. So it wasn't necessarily that Detroit ran them out of the barn. It's Detroit did play well. Uh, obviously Verona played really well. Zadina played really well. Um, but so did Thomas Grace. And then, you know, who didn't play well, all of Dallas's goaltending. So yeah. It's good. Detroit capitalized on it. They created a lot of chances. They capitalized on most of them. The shot count is very generous because of the circumstance, but Dallas was still very much in that game for most of that game, Had and they were the better team had it not been for the goaltending. But it's funny because I made a joke on Twitter that morning uh, after it was announced that Larkin was out for the season combined with all the other injuries, and I just put Zadina and... Verona looking for someone half decent to play with, with that uh, John Travolta from Pulp Fiction looking around me. And then they didn't need anybody else. They pretty much did it themselves. So, you know, yeah, it, fair, fair, fair way to shut me up. Um, Cause not like any other Red Wings forward had an outstanding performance that night. Those were the two standouts. So if that's how they're going to do it, I'm fine with it. Um, but yeah, it was exactly what, the Red Wings we need to see as Red Wings fans is it's nice to get wins depending on your view of the tank, which I'm sure we're going to talk about because it's not really a tank this year, but still there's no doubt about it. All these points the Red Wings have accumulated lately are hurting them long-term, but if you're going to win, I want the wins to be on the backs of the future. Vrana, Zadina, Dennis Cholosky strung together a couple really strong games. Perfect. This is how I want to win when you're going to do it. I don't need two lucky tips from Luke Glendening or, you know, Jonathan Bernier uh, making 50 saves while nobody else does anything. Those are not how you want to win games when you're in a rebuild. Either get zero points and help the draft pick or have a game where the future of this team shows they're taking steps forward. And that's what happened Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, Verona's first and third goals, I thought were his best. I'll talk about his hat trick goal first. 
um, where he stole the puck at the blue line and, you know, blew past everyone, had the breakaway chance, and he finished it cleanly. It's funny because we've seen Verona for, what, three, four, five games, whatever it is now, and that breakaway finish top corner is almost, like, expected from him now. Like, we know that's how he shoots, and he's clutch with that shot. Um, he gets it off extremely quickly. I love Verona's release. Um whether or not you think he's as good of a shooter as Mantha, you have to admit his release is at least as good as Mantha's. And you know what? I think he gets his release off a little bit quicker in tight space. Although I think some of the time when Mantha's on his game, he he is a lot stronger with uh, getting a shot off quickly. The first Verona goal I thought was especially fantastic because it really showed off the Zadina Verona connection, which is like you mentioned, Brad, super exciting to see. Um, you said something, Brad, I think during the last game, uh, the overtime loss to Dallas, that Zadina is probably the best playmaker on the ice for the Red Wings right now. That play, if you have a chance to go back and look at that goal, um, wherever you can find it, I, I have the clip on my Twitter as well. Um, when Zadina's breaking into the zone before he passes it over to Verona, who obviously fires it in, with, which is an excellent shot from Verona. That was amazing from Zadina. First of all, he tracked the puck. He saw that the defenseman was turned around in a bad spot and knew he would give it away. And he was right place, right time to catch it. And when he stick handled in, there was this one extra little deke away from Verona to draw the defender's stick away. To pull the defender away to give Verona the space to shoot and not have the puck deflected. And I think that was just so clever and it was such a good display of those little things that make a really good playmaker and Zadina doesn't get a lot of credit as a playmaker because we focus on him you know filling the net but I just love that goal all around if we're talking pure passing I fully healthy I still think Zadina is probably the best passer on this team which could be construed as playmaker a couple people when I tweeted that argued Larkin and while I agree overall Larkin's probably better at creating plays and chances for everybody else, he does it in different ways than Zadina did. If you're giving them both the puck on the half wall and say, hit this guy on the tape through three people, I'm taking Zadina in that circumstance because that that first Verona goal, now one, this is what Philip Zadina can look like when he gets the puck to someone who can shoot like that. That was not a slap shot from Verona and it was from the top of the circles and he beat the goalie cleanly. Like, zero chance for Hudobin on that one. Um, so that is a fun development and something that we didn't have because quickly circling back to the Verona versus Mantha shot, I think in pure power, Mantha's shot's harder. Verona gets his off quicker and it's more accurate. So do with that information what you will, um, at least from what I've noticed. But yeah, because when Zadina went to cut through the defenseman, and then pulled, I think it was Joel Hanley's stick away from Verona and opened up that passing lane. If that's if he did that intentionally, that's a 4D chess move that only elite hockey players can make. Conversely, he didn't do that on purpose. And he was just wanting to see if there was a lane between the defensemen, if he could get there themselves, made the move, made the play, in the middle of two defensemen realized, yeah, this isn't going to work. And then still was able to improvise and put it over to Verona for the goal. I don't know which of those two for sure was in his brain, but it doesn't matter because they're both top level blocky plays that not anybody can do. So it's good to see these two getting the chemistry. I don't know. Well, I don't know if we have a nickname yet, like the check connection or something like that, but we'll figure something out. I'm, I'm sure Twitter will come to a majority eventually, but, um, 
that that was a positive positive development from that game. And again, we need this. These guys need to be playing 25 minutes a night down the stretch and developing this chemistry because, well, quite frankly, without Ryan and Fabry and Larkin and Bertuzzi and Manta's been traded, what the hell else do we have to look forward to on offense? Nothing. <laughs> Almost literally nothing. Let's not forget about offensive dynamo Adam Ernie. Yeah, who's, you know what? He's he earned might that respect. Earn, pun intended? No. I don't know. I don't okay. it. You know what's funny? You say that sarcastically, but if you go to the lineup, you're probably right, actually. <laughs> Ernie, I, I like that Ernie has really toned down his uh his point getting just to make sure that the tank is at least a little bit alive. It's very pragmatic of him. I, I appreciate that from Adam Ernie. Um yeah. <sighs> Is it sustainable for Veronica to score at this rate? Absolutely. We can expect five goals from him a night for the rest of his career in Detroit. No, in all seriousness, Brad, I think, wrapped this up pretty nicely earlier. The wins are are, are fine, sure, but in a season like this, they don't necessarily matter. And if you're really tied up in, in the draft position, which we have been in the past, maybe not necessarily this season, um, maybe you're not as big of a fan of the wins. But what you do like to see is those newly acquired players fitting in and the important players doing well, which is what we saw, especially from that first game. So, Jacob Verona, thank you for further reinforcing that Um Iserman has been doing a phenomenal job, especially with that trade. I'm blown away that the Red Wings managed to acquire what they did um, in dealing Manta. And that's not a knock on Manta. So, um, yeah, that every time I watch him play, I'm just like, holy shit, what a great move from Iserman. So good. Because the, the the value deficit there was not as great as, as people might think. Um, the next game is a little bit more of a complicated story. The Red Wings were leading through two periods. The shots were 41 to 6 for Dallas or something like that. Yeah, 41-4 I think it actually was for Dallas. No, it was 41-6. You had it. Uh, And Detroit was leading, which is just like, you know, that's one of Pete Blackburn's The Beautiful Game moments, like just absolute bullshit from hockey. <laughs> like what a stupid result. Dallas, of course, ended up winning it in overtime uh, from Jamie Benn, which is problematic for a couple of reasons. But first, let's talk about what I guess you and Evan think is the best performance of the season. Jonathan Bernier, 50 saves. Um, I'm honestly... The fact that Jonathan Bernier didn't pull a happy Gilmore and stab someone with uh, his skate at the second intermission is a testament to his character. Because uh, I would have killed every defenseman in front of me if I was Jonathan Bernier in that circumstance. Um, a one nothing lead. And I think he had, yeah, so he would have had 41 saves, 41 shots going into the third. And and we're not talking Detroit Red Wing shots. Like they'll get twenty five shots on game, but twenty four of them are from outside the top of the circles. These were ten bell chances. I think the final stat line at the end of the game was Jonathan Bernier saved four goals above expected that game, which is a good month for a top end goalie. He did it That's in insane. a game, in a game, and lost. The game. Like, I can't... This game was good for two reasons. First, Jonathan Bernier. Still really good. Still really gives a shit. Resign this man. I don't give a shit what other goalie is on the market right now. Unless you get a young goalie who you can ride for the next 10 years. 
Bernier's your guy next year. No doubt in my mind. If you want to roll the dice on like a five-year contract for like a Philip Grubauer, I'll hear that argument. But understanding those guys are probably pricing themselves out of Detroit. Bernie's your guy. Two, I made a joke at the beginning of the game very early on when I saw how this was going that, oh, so this is going to be one of those games where Jonathan Bernier does everything himself and Detroit scores a lucky goal or two to, to get a win. They got a point, not a win close enough, but I was wrong. It wasn't a lucky goal. Because that shot from Dennis Cholosky might have been the single best shot a Detroit Red Wing has taken this year. And like I said, for hard to praise anybody that game, but Dennis Cholosky had his moments. And especially if you combine his last few games has looked very good. He's looked reliable defensively. His He seems to have his mojo back. He's been carrying the puck through the neutral zone more. He's been stepping up in the offensive zone, which is something we did not see from him at all this season up until the last few games. And he got rewarded for it. He got a pass from Svechnikov through the neutral zone, turned it in two on one, saw a shot and hit it right literally right off the junction of the crossbar and the post, a perfect shot. One that he almost scored in the exact same way the game before where he hit the same part of the net, it just missed the far post. So he literally adjusted his sight probably by 10 millimeters, and that's not even an exaggeration, and it ended up in a goal. So Bernier good, Cholosky progressing like we hoped Cholosky would progress and got rewarded for it. And then the bad. Everything else about that game. Holy shit. Everybody sucked. Everybody two things here one when Chalosky scored I immediately sensed a, a dormant part of Brad wake up that had been asleep for a long time I'm a little bit hesitant to say Chalosky is developing as we progress I think he's had a, a, a nice little stretch here um, the team has very clearly looked away from Christian Juice who seems like he's going to go to Europe now um, probably won't be back we had a lot of appreciation for Christian Christian Juice this year because he brought literally anything offensively from the blue line uh but the defensive walls really just couldn't be reconciled and you know if christian juice not playing is going to be bring about giving dennis cholosky a longer look and gustav lindstrom a longer look then yeah by all means please like great um but still good to see from cholosky nice to see him put that together uh i think he had that really strong play like you said brad where he went back to the same shot and he actually scored at this time phenomenal shot what a snipe um I, w- I do want to specify, it wasn't just that one play. He had a couple um, where he jackknifed through the defenders, got gained the zone cleanly, or was cycling around the zone and used his feet to make plays happen. It, he's been showing more of this because he started, let's not forget, before he got recalled, his start in Grand Rapids, he was on fire. He had like 10 points in 10 games. So that was progression we wanted to see. Then he got recalled. And as I mentioned on this podcast before, he was playing timid. He was playing, I think I called it playing scared, um, which was fine because his defensive game was reasonably sound as he was doing that. But there was absolutely nothing dynamic about his game, which is what made him him, which was disappointing to me. But now he seems to be bringing that back out because he's a little more comfortable with his defensive game. Because the one rush he did have um, it didn't result in anything. And then, you know, he passed around turnover and then Dallas turned it quickly. And who's there for the two on two skating backwards through the neutral zone? Chalosky. So he was able to recover. So I'm just, 
I hyper-focus on the goal because it was beautiful, but overall he's had a, a strong couple of weeks here. Um, your point about everything else sucking, you're totally right. What a terrible game for the Red Wings. Like, just brutal. They did recover their shots a little bit. I think they ended up being like 51 or 52-17 or something like that. Um, their third period, they actually shot outshot Dallas. Um, but still, god-awful game. And I don't care. Because that's what's to be expected. I think the first game of this two-game set we're talking about was the aberration. Like, Verona's four goals, Ponick scoring, everyone else, but you know, contributing. I think that was the the outlier. Because this Red Wings team, Larkin, it was announced that he's out for the season. And we're talking when this was announced, there's eight games left. So, it's not like he's missing a full season. But still, Larkin out for the season. Bobby Ryan out for the season. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, quite obviously, out for the season. I mean, just for the sake of listing it, Franz Nielsen out for the season. Robbie Fabry hasn't played in God knows how long, and we don't know if he's going to, going to be back this season. This is a shell of a Red Wings team. This is an absolute – and, like, you consider the fact that they've also lost Mantha, added Verona, in fairness, lost Merrill, lost Nemeth. Like, this team isn't meant to win much, if anything going down the stretch and that's by design it, that that's what happens when you mortgage off all your uh assets current assets for futures which is what eisman did and you have players who are beat to hell you have a team that came in did not play hockey for uh, was it a calendar year or something almost played a really compacted schedule everyone's been banged up all year and you have players like jamie ben doing what he did to larkin like it's not that this is like a hyper-aggressive tank. I saw some people joking about that on Twitter. The Red Wings are so far removed from last place. If anyone thinks that they can recover an 11-point difference in eight games or seven games is delusional. It's not a tank. It's just this team's beat up and depleted. So this last game was not a surprise. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that it didn't happen the first of these two games. You know what I'm going to get on about, though, right? Yeah, and I think it's a fair point. I think what you're going to bring up is a very fair point and I'm not disagreeing with it. I just I'm going to be the I'm I'm going to be the person you hate today. I know it's a little bit new of a concept for you. I don't think it's as big of a deal. But I love when uh, you play devil's advocate on this because it's so very rarely I get an easy W in an argument. Um <laughs> thanks so <laughs> We've spent the last 5 years harping on Jeff Blashill and it's beating a dead horse now. But there's what six games left till his contract expires. So now is the time to hyper focus on everything and nitpick. So one, you can when, when a team gets outshot 52 to 17, or sorry, let me put it this way. When a team loses, it's generally one of two things. Poor strategy, aka coaching, players played like shit. Usually it's one of the two. When you get outshot 52 to 17, it's both. That's the reality of it. Um, no matter what Blashill threw out there, the way they played, it was going to end like this. No matter how they played with how they were playing it, it was going to end like this. Um, but what I, when we talk about why we think the Red Wings should move on from Blashill at the end of the year, it's mindset things for me more than system. So very clearly you're getting outshot 41 to six. Or even if you want to go halfway through the game, 30 to four or whatever it was at that one point. There's no curiosity here about what the problem is. 
you are not getting the puck in the offensive zone. You are not generating chances because if you generate chances, guess what? That's less time for Dallas to create theirs. The defensive scheme of this game was gone. Your defensive specialists were not playing like it. So you need offense, create offense. Jacob Verona had the third least ice time of all forwards this game. Evgeny Svechnikov was one of the two behind him who set up the only goal of the game. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Luke Glendening line was either first or second for ice time, which (laughs) if you have a lead and they are effectively shutting down the other team, I can hear the argument for it. I'm generally very anti-protect the lead style hockey, but if they're doing it, I understand it. No, your team was getting shelled defensively, so you don't have that argument. They're getting caved, absolutely caved. So try generating some offense, and he just refused to throw Verona over the boards more than every fourth shift. I did hear the argument, and there is something to it. Well, Detroit barely had any power plays and they had a lot of PK. Well, one, obviously they were taking more penalties because they were getting shelled. But when you're on the penalty kill, yes, your Glenn Dennings, your helms are going to get more ice time. That should bring the totals closer to even, not give them a three-minute cushion on arguably your best goal scorer in a game where you are struggling to even get shots on net. These are the things that happen like clockwork. We bitch about Svechnikov getting scratched despite him being a third liner at best, but he provides offense. So even though he's a marginal player, we still believe he should be in the lineup. Giovanni Smith, there's a whole other reason he should have been in this game, which we'll get to, but he can provide some offense. It's just, it's it's maddening. You're, you're getting outshot 41 to 6. Like, are you kidding? I just, I, these are one of those things where I can go, yes, I understand I nitpick way too much. This isn't a nitpick. This is a big picture. What the hell are you thinking? Yeah. Annoyingly, you've framed your argument here perfectly. So I can't even tear down any of it. So take down, take your easy W, Brad, and go. But no, I agree. Thank like, you. this is like, for anyone to make this out into like a singular reason, Blashill should be, you know, moved on from or fired or, or whatever. Like, no, that, that's making a, a mountain out of a molehill because this is a, a meaningless game at the end of the season where there isn't a lot to say for the Red Wings as a roster. But Brad's right. Like, yeah, you want to roll four lines because this is a banged up team or whatever. But when you have six shots through two periods and your goalie has already had to make 44 saves or 41 saves or whatever it is, you need to be pushing offense. I saw the argument about penalty minutes. Okay, that's fair. Once you account for five on five time, Verano is six most in forwards. I, I still don't think that's high enough for a guy who just put up a four goal game. Um, and also it, the, the penalties were 4-1 in favor of Dallas. That's not it's not like Detroit was on the PK for for nine different minor penalties through two periods. That that wasn't the case at all. So I don't. It just, it, it was such an easy fix, maybe not a fix, but it's such an easy thing to say. Like, okay, we're getting shelled defensively. Our specialists are specialists. If you ever believe that the Red Wings defensive specialists are actually able to do that this year or at this point in their careers, they're not doing it tonight. At the very least, let's throw the offense out there. But no, it it just didn't happen, and it was like. I wasn't 
you know, pulling my hair out over it because the whole team sucked besides Bernier, like you mentioned, Brad. But it was just a, yeah, I mean, that's Blashill being Blashill. That's consistent. It's more, it was more of a microcosm than anything. Like, how do you take a guy coming off a four goal game and then just not, you, you put him out for just a shade over, what was it, 13, 13 and a half minutes, five on five? It's, it, to me, it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't sit well. It's a little bizarre. 14 and a half minutes total. No one got a ton of minutes on offense. I get that. The end of the season doesn't matter. Let's just have some fun, have some fun with it. Yep. And, and, and you put it pretty well. It's not that this happened that makes this so egregious. It's that anybody could have guessed this would have happened. And the fact that it happens over and over and over again. Like we, we were joking. Like I didn't even have to say anything. I posted just a positive tweet about Chalosky scoring the goal and then. My the replies below were just flooded with oh that just booked him a one way ticket to Grand Rapids like it, it's it's a the Blashill's become a parody of himself in a lot of ways on this one where it's yeah we understand he's done a good job defensively but it is literally at the like the detriment of the offense so it's not oh this is something he added to the team but it it, it, it hopefully it's only six more games of this and then we'll. We we can let our stars shine. Yeah, and and there's one more point I want to make. There's uh, proponents of keeping Blash Hill who I don't think are necessarily wrong off the bat. Like it might not be the opinion I have, but I don't think it's an insane opinion to have. <laughs> I don't think, but I think there's an argument to be had, and I get that. And the the foundation of that argument to keep Blash Hill is he's never. He's not had a winning roster, really. Like, take away the start of his career where he inherited the tail end of the the streak where it was destined to fail regardless. He's not had a lot to work with. And I agree. And some people are saying they would like to see what Blashill could do with that roster. And you know what? I think Blashill could do a lot better. I've said on this podcast before, I think he does deserve credit, as painful it might be as it might be for some people, for what he's been able to do this year with very little. All of that said... Those habits that we just illustrated, like what you mentioned, Brad, with, with ice time and, and what we've talked about ad nauseum on the show with just, you know, deployment and strategies and an unwillingness to to let players play to their strengths and all of those little million tiny things. That's what I'd be concerned about with a more talented lineup. If Blashill had a, a lineup of a, uh, you know, this team is expected to go to, go to the conference finals like that caliber – Think of how we all harped on uh, Mike Babcock for playing Patrick Marlowe more than Austin Matthews, or what was it in that game seven? I view yeah. Babcock as the exact same kind of coach right now, and that's what I wouldn't want on a talented team. I'm not saying he would be completely uh, uh, devoid of uh, – he's he wouldn't be completely absent of any positive qualities, and the team would succeed if it was a better roster. Absolutely. Anyone who paints his black and white is just reducing it into something it's not, but – I don't I would be concerned about the habits that Blasha would bring forward and could potentially hold back a better team. And yeah, the argument that he's never had a good team is absolutely right. Even though he inherited a playoff team, I think we all knew where that team was going and it went exactly where we thought it would have happened with or without him. The argument is is he a good coach on a bad team or is he a bad coach ruining a better team both can be true it's a bad team with a, a a weak coach the thing though that i that i never that never gets brought up in the argument of he's never had a good team is 
yeah, he hasn't a good team, but he's had good players. He's had a lot of good players. And we've seen those good players regress under him more often than we've seen them progress. We've seen good things happen with those good players when he when he created the MLB line. Unbelievable. They were a top 10 line in the league for a stretch of about 10 to 15 games there. They didn't stay together as a line. He broke them up constantly, even though it was tried, tested, and true and worked. If the Red Wings went out there every game and their top players scored three goals and then their bottom six came out and allowed four goals, okay, that's a bad team losing, but the coach got the most out of the guys that he could get something out of. That's not how the Red Wings lose. So as 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 much as it's it's very fair and very true, he's never had a good team. He has had lots of good players. And again, Mantha regressed this year. Larkin injuries could have had something to do with that regress this year. Heronic regressed mightily this year. We never saw the progression from Chalosky that we should have. I mean, Red Wings fans, if you don't want to get too upset, don't go look at what Andreas Athanasiu is doing in LA this year. He's having a good season. He's progressing under a different coach. It's He's had a couple success stories, but not many. And that, if you're talking about the talent, fair, but let's analyze what he's done with the talent. And the answer there is not much. Well, um, let's go from one happy topic to another here to wrap up uh, our Red Wings specific talk. Um, Larkin out for the year. That was a little bit of a mystery at first, but then we caught the replay after uh, props to the team at Valley Sports Detroit, who really highlighted it prior to the start of the last game, where uh, Jamie Ben off the faceoff with Larkin, Larkin was kind of stumbled and hunched over because of the, the way the faceoff went, which is just what happens. Larkin gets up on his feet, on his two feet. He was on both skates, but was still like crouched over in the process of standing up. Jamie Ben towering over him. Two-handed cross-check down on the back of Larkin's neck, crunching his back, crunching his neck, full force down on him. Larkin immediately sat back and you knew something was wrong. Like, he didn't retaliate at Ben for the cross-check. He wasn't, you know, yelling at the ref like, this guy's hurt. He looked hurt. This was towards the end of the game. He left the game and Larkin won't be coming back to the ice this season. I don't understand the function of the Department of NHL Player Safety. I truly do not understand their function. I've never counted them as reliable or good or fair, but what what is the point of this entire department where you're paying these people salaries if you can see this happen and nothing is done about it? You're talking about a player with a two-handed cross-check to another player in a vulnerable position in one of the worst places to do it your neck is unprotected you might be wearing a neck guard i don't think larkin does but that's to stop skate blades from cutting you open it's not to stop impact force from pucks or sticks and here's jamie ben making a conscious decision away from the puck to hurt another player and absolutely nothing is done about it and why just because detroit's not a playoff team nothing's going to be done about it just because jamie ben might make the playoffs they're not going to do anything to to punish him shit i'm not even expecting suspension just give him the stupid the maximum allowable fine of 55 dollars or whatever the hell it is it's bullshit it's bullshit the nhl is wasting add up all the salaries in the department of player safety and that's how much money the nhl is wasting every year i know people work in that department i'm not saying they should all be fired but hell i'd love it if they did their jobs what are we here for what are we doing here there's no player safety happening. Anyways, that was a Mike Milbury minute without even announcing it. 
Yeah, that's probably pretty close to We have minute. rules around here, Ryan. You can't just do those things without <laughs> announcing it. Sorry. Evan's the official timer of the Mike Milbury Minutes. Has Evan ever done a Mike Milbury Minute? Or has it been all me and Brad? I'm dead inside and outside these days. So until the Red Wings have <laughs> any amount of relevancy, it might be hard for me to find one. Well, I've day, got Brad- one. I've got one, actually. We'll We'll see if it ever comes up organically. Okay. I'm what sure day? it will at some point. Brad, you and I should make notes of things that kind of perturb Evan, and we'll slowly build them up into something, and we'll eventually get an outburst. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, the nice thing with Evan is he's so easily relaxed, because every time he's tense up, we can just send him for a round of golf. Like, if Evan- This is going to sound like so on brand, but while we're talking about what uh, irks me, um, the other day when they delivered the hot tub, <laughs> Oh my god! I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> this is. Hold on, hold I on. already know this uh, is going to be the biggest first world problem we've uh, ever heard on this podcast. And in case we, you thought you didn't hear clearly, Evan did say when they delivered the hot tub. Hot tub. Yeah. Go ahead, Evan. Uh, anyways, oh god, uh, the hot. <laughs> <laughs> the hot tub was so large that I didn't think we'd be get, able to. St- get it in our garage for storage until we moved oh to the my new house god <laughs> oh god i can't believe i just said that if please anyone... tell me it's a single car garage at least yes it is oh thank god if anyone's having a bad day remember evan's life is hard yeah that was the last time i was stressed out because there was you, you couldn't have fit a finger on either side of the garage door to get it in oh. so it was like i was freaking out so yeah that was the last time i've been stressed buddy i'm so sorry that's terrible he he was so he was so stressed that it had to might had to have sit on his driveway because poor people might have come and sat in it while he was sleeping (laughs) i'm gonna go sit in it while he's sleeping that would have been worst case evan you did give us the address of your new place you know brad and i are going to get absolutely hammered and not tell you and come over and get in your hot tub at night yes i know Anyhow, <laughs> um, the Jamie Ben conversation. Was it made worse by the fact that Jamie Ben scored? Yes, absolutely. The Department of Player Safety is not a conversation to have because that's nothing new. As Rowan reminded me on Twitter, am I surprised? No, I shouldn't be. It, it, he, and he's absolutely right. I shouldn't be. It, this isn't new. It's not going to change. And it's across the NHL. It's not a conspiracy against Detroit. It's attributed to complete incompetence and stupidity. I can't believe I have become this person. And I'm waiting for the day where I can look back and say, no, I'm stupid. I was stupid for having this opinion. But knowing that the NHL is going to do nothing to do, to protect the players, especially Detroit star players, I would have loved to have seen McElrath come up, Giovanni Smith come up, someone to, I don't even care if they lost the fight, go and tell Jamie Ben, hey, if you're going to do that, you have to answer for it. This is complete First name, bunch of numbers, Twitter. It's complete, as Evan would say, the boomer window opinion. Like, just stupid. It doesn't help you win hockey games. But you know what? The Red Wings aren't meant to win hockey games right now. The season's almost over. And they just... There was a a two-handed cross-check to the neck of Detroit's captain. I want to see Jamie Benn answer for that. And nothing happened. And I cannot believe I'm the person who's upset by that, but I am. I mean, the only person who's probably gives less of a shit about fighting in the NHL than you is me. And um, yeah, it. I did not like this. I'm 
I hate staged fights. I hate all that shit. I hate dressing enforcers. To me, the enforcer is a dead role in the NHL. I don't like goons. Guys that can play and can scrap like a Giovanni Smith, I have all the time in the world for because of circumstances like this. So I saw this getting pinned on Blashill a bunch. I'm going to at least somewhat absolve him on this. Now, we've all, all three of us have played very high levels of hockey. We've been in this situation before. So we're not just talking about our ass when we say the team needs to answer for its captain. No, they absolutely should. The whole, your teammates are your brothers and sisters isn't something that gets thrown around just for cliches. It's true. When you're on a team, um, especially like... you know, in minor hockey, even you get new teammates year to year, depending on what level you play, right? Guys go up, guys go down, move in the NHL. Some of these guys have been together for four, five, six years. Like these are brothers. So yeah, generally the guy who's going to go to the coach and go, Hey, this thing happened. This doesn't sit right with us. Can you maybe wink, wink, nudge, nudge, recall someone for this would be the captain. That would be Larkin's quote unquote duty to address the coach on stuff like this. When Larkin's the one that's hurt, he's obviously not going to do that. So Blashill might not have been given, had any communication with the team on this one. He was obviously aware of the incident and put his captain out for the season, but he's, he's got six games left. He's coaching for his life. He doesn't give a shit about stuff like this right now, nor should he. Okay. That is not part of the coach's job. This falls on the players because you saw your one of your best friends, your brother, your captain, the guy who goes to hell and back for you, the reason he is the captain, get knocked out for the season by a dirty, cheap shot. Someone on that roster has to stand up. Somebody. If, if someone challenges Ben and he chicken shits out of it, Fine. You did your thing. The rest of the world is going to see that Jamie Ben's a coward. You did your part. Now, I'm not a fan of, okay, if Jamie Ben doesn't go, then fine, go grab Jason Robertson and beat his wheels off. I'm not a proponent of that. You address the problem and Jamie Ben is the problem. One of the arguments when I brought this up on Twitter was, well, they didn't have Giovanni Smith or Dylan McElroth in the lineup. So who was going to do it? My answer to that is I don't give a shit. Somebody. Michael Rasmussen, six foot a million. They have big bodies on this team. They have guys that could beg. Even if it's not a big guy, try. Like, try. I will lose every fight I will ever get in in the game of hockey. But if that happened to my captain and I'm the only guy that has to stand up, I'll take my beating just to say, like, show my teammate, hey, we got you, man. Somebody. Because, like, that... People are blowing this up to be a bigger deal than it is. It's not like they turn their back on Larkin and they hate them. It's a long season. They're tired. Obviously, it's not top of mind. Guys are playing for jobs. I get it. But still, a lot of these guys are going to be back next year and somebody just has to show Larkin they have their back. And that's all I'm going to say on that one. Again, people made it to be a bigger deal than it is, but it isn't nothing. 
Yeah, I mean, the truth here probably is is it's a similar trend to what we were talking about with Verona. Like, Verona didn't play, like, four minutes. Like, he still got 14 and a half, so it wasn't the end of the world. It's more the broader concept. It's not like... Larkin's teammates completely turned his back on their backs on him and that they betrayed him and no one cares and the locker room is broken. That's not at all the case. It's just that it's painful to see Ben do what he did, get away with it completely, and then, you know, win the game in overtime against Detroit. Even if it's not a fight, like I understand not wanting to fight. Fighting sucks. Fighting sucks. And when you catch, like, you know, especially these guys don't have cages on, right? They're not fighting with uh, gloves on. Like when you catch a punch to the jaw or the nose, like, it do, that not only hurts, it can ruin your career, especially if you're not a fighter. So I completely understand. Instead of taking four, you know, holding the stick or too many men or whatever the hell the penalties are the Red Wings are taking nowadays, I want you to finish every single check on Jamie Ben. I want you to run interference. I want you to th- – honest, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away that I'm saying this out loud. Throw an elbow. Like, make it hard for Jamie Ben to play that game. Make it difficult. And then if he starts a fight, there it is. You 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 pulled him away from the game. But ah, yeah, you're right, Brad. It's not the end of the world. It's it's easy to get upset about because there's not much else going on this season. Same with the Verona situation. Yeah, but it's just <laughs> oh boy, we're almost there. <laughs> we're we're in the home stretch of this long season. Can you imagine when the Red Wings are good and we're nitpicking the oh. games? It's like, oh, they really could have had five or six goals there, but it's a shame they had to settle for four. Can't can't I, wait till we're at that point. I'm so jealous of Steve, man. I'm so jealous of Steve, who has the privilege of being upset that your backup goalie didn't win an important game. Meanwhile, we're like, hey, our starter made 30 saves. That's pretty sweet. Nice. <laughs> we lost two nothing, but nice. To be fair, the Detroit Red Wings have won a Stanley Cup more recently than the Toronto Maple Leafs have won a playoff series. So Steve still gets my sympathy. (laughs) That's completely fair. Um, Okay, we are going to move this show along because Evan just gave me the look where he knew I was going to throw to him and his eyes said, I don't care about this. Uh, you know what? How I feel? Just beat the wheels off of them and move move on. <laughs> actually, Ever. actually, here's a question because uh, Evan strikes me as the guy who, who, with his time in New Hamburg, was probably in a few scraps. There's a lot of fight circles in my days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were, were, were you ever the guy that uh, had to defend the honor of a teammate? Uh, no. No, I was not. Thank God. <laughs> too skilled or you just uh conveniently avoided it we had some absolute mutants on our team who would just <laughs> go out there ready to brawl so i didn't need to f- i didn't need to fill that role and anytime at any time there was someone on the ice who could do that who, that wasn't me so it was perfect Th- this would have been like what your junior days would have been 2005 six ish 2007 Okay, so yeah, f- like it was still the remnants of the Enforcer era. So yeah, plus it's were- it's junior hockey. There's a few games that are borderline legalized assault. There was some legalized assault out there. I've never I've never seen fights like it since. So, um, and I got front row tickets to most of them. So it was it was some nights are scary, and there's some scary people who played junior hockey yeah, it- even in 2007. Was this when Ronaldo fought a parent? <laughs> Oh, I was wondering, like, 15. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's better or worse. <laughs> the sound of gloves hitting cages. You uh, you can hear it in your head. Oh, this was junior. I, I would assume you guys would have been half-visors, yeah? 
There was a guy we played against. I don't even remember his name, but he played in the OHL. And he was like 6'6", probably 270, like at the end, like 21 years old, like overager. He fought the biggest guy on our team at that point, And our guy was just mashing him. And he didn't, he was like smiling at, the, at our guy. I was like, oh my God, this is bad. This he grabbed the top of our guy's helmet and palmed it off of his head with the strap still on and then just beat the ever living hell out of him. And we had a party after and <laughs> at least he could see out of one eye because the other one looked like a, it was just like swollen shut completely. It was the craziest fight I've ever seen in real life. Yeah, There's a reason I stopped playing when I was 17. You know, you get to the age where kids stop having, like, when when the guys who are going to make it further, like Junior B, Junior A, maybe the O, they move on. But then the players who still want to play, like, competitive rep hockey, they stay. They have nothing to do besides beat the lights out of you. A lot of good fights. A lot of good fights. People just, it's not like the NHL now or the, like, pros now where guys kind of, like, one foot forward, you know, shrugging, shrugging it off and like hiding back. People stand two feet forward and they just throw right hands <laughs> right at each other. Like it was 30 seconds of that. And you're just standing on the bench, like with your jaw dropped. There's no guard. There's no guard up. It's all, all the energies in your punches. <laughs> it's all offense. <laughs> <laughs> all offense. Well, all we right. all know 16 to 20 year olds are, are responsible in their decision making. So could we expect anything less? Absolutely. Uh, We're going to move on to our prospect profile. But before we do that, I do want to tell you all that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, who we have been thrilled to partner with this season. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook for so many reasons. It's easy to use from registration to deposits and finding great bets. And they're constantly running odds boosts and special bets. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet no strings attached if you win you keep the cash if you lose you'll get a grand back in site credit we wish we can bet on games like the red wings and blue jackets on tuesday night the red wings will have had some rest who knows maybe they'll come out in shock or you can just bet on the blue jackets for the easy money or maybe not easy money it's the blue jackets what am i saying download the fanduel sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to one thousand dollars and be sure to sign up sign up with promo code wwp so they know the winged wheel podcast sent you that's fanduel sportsbook promo code wwp you must be 21 and older and present in new jersey pennsylvania illinois west virginia indiana colorado iowa tennessee virginia or michigan first online real money wager only site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days restrictions apply see sportsbook.fanduel.com for details if you have a gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Red Line 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right, the NHL Draft Prospect Profile Series continues. Um, this is a funny draft because no one knows what to think. We are waiting for the uh, under 18 worlds to happen. So we have a little bit of a better idea. But for now, we're going to be doing these early analyses to see what we can make of these draft prospects. Today's prospect is none other than Mason McTavish. Brad, take us away on Mason. Ah, Peterborough Pete's forward who had his season written off in the OHL. So spent... Uh, the season in the well part of the season in the Swiss second league he has actually done there and joined Team Canada for the U18s that start next week 
Um, so there's going to be a bunch of prospects that fit this profile. Um, so it, it's made it harder to judge. Now, McTavish is a fairly simple player to evaluate in the sense that he's a pretty straightforward player. He plays hard, he plays fast, he drives the net, he gets the puck to the net, and he has arguably one of the best shots in this draft. Uh, playmaking leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, defensive game leaves a little bit to des- a little bit to be desired, but there's no denying he is good at what he's good at, which is see net, get puck net, put puck in net. Um, I think he had either near or just over 30 goals as a 16-year-old in the OHL, uh, which is incredibly difficult to do. Um, he's going to be a Cy Young candidate more than he's going to be a, you know, a Nicholas Backstrom type here. So, you know, understand that going into it. But he's got a hard shot, he's got an accurate shot, and he's got a quick release. So anytime he has that puck in space in the offensive zone, it's a problem for the defense. And he is pretty good at creating space for himself and finding space. So he's not all that good at getting the puck to his teammates, but he is great at finding the situations where his teammates can get the puck to him. So again, the fact that he is so one-dimensional, it feels like it's selling him short. It's not that he's incompetent at these other things. They're there, but they're not, you know, first two round strengths. Um, is, is keeping him from probably being a top 10 pick, but just understand that that one thing that he is good at, he is truly exceptional at yeah watching mason mctavish play and, and and reading a little bit more about how he's developed this is a guy where if i'm a red wings fan i'm really keeping an eye on him for their second pick that washington pick in the first round because i don't think he's worthy of a top 10 pick right now um but i do really love that despite the deficiencies or the holes in his game which every prospect pretty much is going to have um, he is able to score. Like if you're, if you have a fantastic shot, then that immediately makes you more valuable because, um, as a lot of people will remind you often, the most difficult and important thing to do in hockey is score. And he plays hard. You're right, Brad. He's not the world's best playmaker, but I think his sense for what's happening in the offensive zone makes him a useful offensive player, especially as he continues to develop. If his playmaking can come together a little bit better, um, be a little bit more defensively responsible. So it's not like he's a liability. Having a guy on the ice who knows where to be in the offensive zone and be able to read plays offensively is is a really good trait to have built within you already in your foundation of skills. Uh, you know, puck retrieval, just the way he plays that hard and, and combine that with a good shot. Um, I, I like Mason McTavish as a mid to, to mid to late first round pick. Will he make it there? I don't know. I think you'd have a better read on that than I would, Brad. But yeah, that that that's my take on on McTavish. It's pretty limited. I, I'm curious to see what happens as we get more of a look at these guys. But yeah, I don't know, Ivan. How about you? I uh, was reading in the the one of the points that came up was he was second in rookie points behind Shane Wright last year. So that's not nothing for sure. Um, and like you guys said, um, he's got a probably one of the best shots in the draft from the looks of it um he doesn't look like he's got great speed a certain certainly not top end speed um so you know the nhl keeps getting faster and faster that that leaves me with some questions um but he also has a little bit of bite to his game as well so maybe he would have fought jamie ben who knows maybe we'll know (laughs) next year Maybe we'll know in two years. I don't know. 
Um, so if you're looking for somebody who's got elite goal scoring, you know, hope you can work out his his high end speed. Maybe he's a guy you, sw- you go for at the near the late part of the draft. Um, God knows the Red Wings could use goal scorers. So, um, yeah, clearly I'm not blown away by what I've read and what I've seen. Um, but I, I, I think he needs to be in the top six, and I'm not entirely sure once your team is good, he could be there. But you never know. He's still super young. It's just so early. Mason McTavish admittedly is one of those prospects where I'm really going to rely on on what I see from the U18s to establish where I am on him. Like it's very touch and go once you get to the Mason McTavish level of I think the first round for me at least. Yeah, I, I yeah I think he's a twenty to wherever. Um, so I don't know. I guess it really depends who you like around around that spot, and if he's the guy, then go for him. Like. I don't think he got he he'll have any issues scoring goals. I mean he he's fits the Eisenman brand. He's competitive. He he busts his ass. So he's not yeah. he's not one of those one dimensional goal scorers. Not to pick on a guy, but like a Patrick Line where you know the deficiencies that come with those goals. That's not a McTavish thing. So I think the U18s are going to be a good uh, calling card for him because I think i saw in the for in their exhibition game against finland that he was on the first power play unit uh with shane wright which could be fun uh which fun fact shane wright 16 year old shane wright is the captain of the u18 team for team canada and he and connor bedard who's 15 years old uh both scored in that exhibition game so you know that's something please let the lottery gods praise us in the next three years (laughs) where's mctavish going to be in the in canada's lineup He'll be more towards the top of the lineup. Uh, he'll be a top six forward, and he'll feature very prominently on their power play. All right. Mason McTavish, I'm sure he might be someone that we circle back on depending on how that tournament goes. So that is our prospect profile. In the meantime, please direct your par- prayers to whichever deity you choose because Brad's right. The 2022 and 2023 drafts are – if there's ever going to be a time for Detroit to have an Austin Matthews save Toronto moment, it's one of those drafts in all likelihood okay overtime we're going to start with patreon because our patrons are the reason uh this show goes around so thank you all so much they are all incredible people uh heap praises on them we're going to start with jake Kiefer, who says am i crazy to actually think that a pedersen offer sheet might not be a bad idea especially if stevie feels that cider raymond and zadina are all going to be stars we are going to get to the pedersen conversation it's going to come up it's just a large conversation um so we want to give it credit you're not crazy to think that it might be a viable plan i don't think it's an insane plan like off the bat i understand a lot of people's aversion to it um but it's nuanced and Pedersen is way better than i think people give him credit for like Pedersen is game breaking good anyhow quaz says guys i finished flight school i earned my wings quaz dude congratulations um I don't know how it works, but I assume you can give your favorite podcast hosts uh, flights in a fighter jet. So one day when we can, we're going to take you up on that. Uh, uh, no, I will not. You you go nuts, Ryan. Are you a heights person, Brad? Or is it? Oh no, I have I have no problem with heights. I'm um, we'll just call it a fear of mechanics. 
The only reason I get nervous on roller coaster isn't because of the height, isn't because of the speed. It's because if I hear one loose bolt, something triggers in the back of my head that's like, oh no. So, yeah. You'd be hurt. I'd do it. Yeah. Actually, Evan, you if if only one person would go, we'd have to force it to be Brad just because that'd be hilarious. Oh, it wouldn't be hilarious. I'd probably pass out at the first time I hear anything oh, weird. Not hilarious for you. Yeah, no. I wouldn't don't care about you. I won't even experience <laughs> it. I'll be out cold most of the time because if I'm in control of the situation, I have zero problems with heights or any of that stuff. But as soon as I lose the control, I that's when I get nervous well i mean they could give you control of the fighter jet but i think that might no that's a terrible idea that's um no these are some great ideas coming out over here (laughs) what they what they should do is put it on autopilot and then hand me the controls and like we've had this conversation before we've had this conversation certainly we have because i remember looking up while we were recording how much it costs to get a second seat in one of the fighter jets that flies out of Breslau Airport. And it was a ludicrous uh, amount of money for half yeah. an Yeah. What was that, like 10 years or two years ago? Who knows at this point? It could have been last week. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, and then Quaz goes on to ask, uh, rapid fire UFAs, who comes back? Helm? No. Val- uh, Philpola? No. No. Glenn Denning? Probably. Yes. Sam Gagne? 50-50. I can see I'll it happening. Yes. Mark Stahl. No. I'm going to go no. Biega. No. No. Jo- Jonathan Bernier. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I will not stand for this Bobby Ryan erasure. Yeah, I, I want to bring back Ryan too. Um, okay. Next question here is from Ruthless and Toothless, who says it's a little annoying with the constant comparison of Ron and Mantha. Ken and Mick, who are great, constantly kept mentioning it. Let's all move on. Verona has the possible makings of a star, fingers crossed. Moreover, Wings fans need to be careful with hype surrounding Cider. He looks to be a future stud, no doubt, but we need to understand that he might come in and struggle at first, which would be completely normal. Great job as always, guys. Cheers. Ruthless and Toothless, that was an incredibly intelligent and grounded comment that everyone should listen to. Um, Deathman6452 says, uh, not a question, but a comment for the fellow Winged Wheel podcast fans. Subscribe to Patreon for some quality content and engage Discord community. It's worth it even for the bottom tier and you won't regret it. Loved Brad's hockey year talk. I promise you that wasn't a paid advertisement by us. So thank you, Deathman. Um, oh yeah, uh, Brad did a Gear Nerd episode, uh, the version two of it. Um, go listen on Patreon and the Discord's a blast. Like, it's not even just hockey talk. It's just a blast. Like, it's a group of friends. Slava Kozlov's doppelganger says, anyone who wants Blashill to stay just has Stockholm Syndrome. Also, do Canadians cheer for Alfonso Davies like Americans cheer for Pulisic? Yes, absolutely. Canadians do. 100%. 1,000%. John Evans says, hello, gentlemen. Greetings from Ohio. Wanted to ask what your favorite thing about the Jamie Daniels Foundation is. Is it their work to end the stigma of substance use disorder? Perhaps it's, it's their efforts to compile reputable sources of help to help cut down on patient brokering or maybe it's the scholarship for things like transitional housing during the pandemic so those afflicted can focus on sobriety just thought i'd ask honestly john it's hard to pick between all of them uh it, it was really the roast of mickey redmond for me <laughs> uh andrew bohan says hello my lovely dub dub boys doesn't mo cider make you smile i kept looking at the photo from the draft of him and his bow tie can't wait to watch him check players into alternate dimensions I uh, hope he's okay. I know he took a uh, an elbow or a headbutt, I think, to the jaw, which is bullshit. What's happening to Red Wings players right now? Uh, he had to leave the game, so hopefully he comes back soon for Rogla. 
Sam W says, after an offseason of addition by subtraction and a little bit of addition by addition, how do you envision the Wings roster shaping up next year? Also super excited to tune into what I can th- uh, what I can of the U18s. Who are you keying in on this tourney and how dominant do you think Connor can, Bedard can be already? Um, very quickly, my hot take, and we'll get into this in future episodes, is that Eisman's not going to gear up this roster to be very good because of how good the next two drafts are. Well, and the reality is, like, um, I was... Just for information purposes, I kind of pieced together the roster for next year, but took out all the UFAs. There's not going to be that much turnover on this team, um, truthfully. So it, it's going to be very, very similar to this year. Obviously, there'll be a little bit of turnover, but not all that much. And um, man, obviously for this tournament i'm going to be hyper focused on uh connor bedard and shane wright but you know they don't matter because lottery balls would det- will determine if they matter for the wings i'm actually going to be more focused on the uh logan stankovins francesco pinelli's the mason mctavish's carson lambos on oh, the no, lambos this season is done but the guys who are going to be late first second round targets just to see if you know any of these guys really stand out because a guy like Logan Stankovin, who had a very shortened season because he plays in the CHL and most of team Canada did play in the CHL. So Shane Wright hasn't played a game this year and there's other players who've only played like a handful of games. So I'm hoping that this tournament will uh, be able to clear up some waters in terms of where we should be ranking some of these guys. Cause I'm, I found myself uh, gravitating and, and ranking Logan Stankovin higher than the majority but I, I the fact that i was higher than just about every other outlet i saw obviously leads me to pause like what am i missing but he got named an assistant captain of team canada so that's got to be a good sign so it, it's stuff like that that i'm going to be absolutely locked in on kyle hashman uh, we did cover this but asked watching ben get off free was infuriating not sure who decides who gets to play but not having anyone in the lineup to even threatening threaten him is absurd season series is over and nothing jake nagy says to honor rowan i will not be sharing any soccer related content and instead am simply here to declare that mo cider is going to dominate the nhl for the next two decades arjun shanker says i verona a new jersey i verona new jersey there it is i did it justice uh arjun Yes, but also jerseys you buy have a tendency to get traded. So I don't know. Maybe not. Although he does have a Bernier jersey. So there's that. Buy it to Geyser. <laughs> uh, what do you think about Torts coaching the wings if Columbus fires him after the season and he does indeed want to coach here? No. Tortorella is a coach for a team that has two years left in their window and enough talent. He will squeeze the hell out of that roster and eventually lose the room. But he will have two or three strong years before that. The Red Wings are not a team with talent. I don't see that going well here. John Tortorella is a very strong coach. Um, Although this year, a lot of what's been going on in Columbus has left me with a whole lot of question marks. He might be the worst coach in the NHL, though, to bring up young players and to develop a rebuilding team. As good as he can be as a coach, he is my last choice not last choice, but he, he he's very far down my list as to who I would hire given the Red Wings where they're at now. I think I saw Line A crying on the bench. 
<laughs> it's not great over there. Hockey Virgin says, hello, guys. It is I, a man who paid pretty handsomely for my initial investment in Dogecoin. Now, as I watch the common men hurry up to pay for something that was three cents a few months ago, uh, I came up with the question. If you were to get into a fight with a current NHL player and they beat you up badly, however, they hurt their hands in the process, meaning they can't play for a few weeks, who would you choose? The answer is Jamie Benn. <laughs> mm. If if it gets to be the last game in the regular season, so I can ensure Jamie Ben misses a playoff series, that's the answer. Um, for me, the answer here is going to be: I want to take one of the best players on a team I strongly dislike, so that way I'm hurting the team and the player for the most part is relevant. So if I basically get to hand pick someone I don't hate to beat me up and then make Nick his Foligno. team suffer uh no i'm fighting austin matthews no you said best player so that's nick felino yeah <laughs> i'm i'm fighting austin matthews i will take a beating from austin matthews and then watch toronto suffer after uh matt says hey guys based on everything i've seen and heard about cider destroying guys yet not being a huge scoring threat is his best comparison nick cronwall i don't hear that comparison mentioned much and i'm curious why I, Cronwell was physical, but Cronwell was physical despite his size. He didn't physically dominate and tower over players. Sider leverages his size, so it's not exactly the same playing style. Brad has used uh, Suter in the past, and I think maybe that's a little bit more apt. I'm not sure. Like, I'm not very familiar with Suter's game of late, to be quite honest. Um, I I compare him to 27-year-old Ryan Suter, not currently 46 year old ryan Suter with five years left still on his contract god that was 100 years ago uh verana's in pajamas says good day dud dud say what you will about jeff blashell and his low event style of hockey but the red wings did a great job yesterday of limiting the red wings to only 17 shots the whole game <laughs> I, I didn't pre-read this comment so that was <laughs> uh maybe next time they could try that out on the other team i don't know it's just one bloke's thoughts now, we've all probably sat through five minutes of Brad complaining, but also fawning over Dennis Cholosky, and it really begs the question why some, with why someone with so many online simps as Brad has decided to stand a borderline NHL player. Heckin' weird, my dudes. Jersey time. Which player drafted, traded for, or UFA has come to Detroit and ended up with a number that has made you uncomfortable seeing it on the ice? Stay fresh, cheese bags. Oh, boy. That one's tough. Um... Because you don't want to drag guys who are currently on the team. I don't like that number 24 is still used in Detroit. I feel like I'm not saying Proby's number should be retired, but I feel like his should be one of those unwritten rules that you don't touch 24, kind of like they've done with Konstantinov and with number six. Um, that's really the only one that immediately comes to mind, though, because um, obviously 16's not been worn since flatty mike madonna wearing 90 was weird for me it was weird but it was fine like it, joe valeno is gonna cleanse that number soon anyway so <laughs> poor mike man he didn't do like, anything wrong like i like weird numbers like if someone wants to wear 90 great you do you um but yeah no 20 it's 24 for me like that it's probert don't just leave that one uh, the worst person imaginable says I probably should have clarified uh, my comment from last week. I meant, who do you hope Buffalo and Detroit take in the NFL draft next week? Hashtag fins up. 
oh, I am not there on on the Red Wings draft picks. I or sorry, the Lions draft picks. I I told myself I'm going to spend some time getting familiarizing myself, but I just haven't taken the time yet. It seems like no one's agreeing, so par for course. I mean, the Bills are picking thirty. I'm not used to the, their first round pick being all not that important because they're actually good. I'm just hoping they don't take a running back. That that's pretty much where I'm at. Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, "Who are your favorite goaltenders who have never played for the Red Wings?" I always had a soft spot for Urbe, Turek, and Kiprasov. I'm a big uh, uh, Braden Holpe guy. I love Braden Holpe, and I'm a big Roberto Luongo guy. Easy to love uh, Luongo though. Lundqvist, Luongo, Kiprasov for me. Yeah, how do you not say the king? Brad's anger manifested said extend Jeff Blashill for infinity hashtag offensive mastermind hashtag hockey god <laughs> Matt S says what's up dub dub crew keep up the good work I'm happy to see Grice finding a stride and helping keep the wings in these past couple of games something to keep in mind when we actually get some scoring support the wings are 16 one and one when scoring three plus goals in a game sad to think they've only won 17 games this year and the question is what pending UFA from another team would you target if you hit the open market uh, I'm not the right person to answer this question because my brain is completely tank next year because you want those high draft picks. So I hope they get just the most Sam Gagne players in free agency. <laughs> yeah, find find those good value one year deals so you can you can flip at the deadline if you have to. I mean, if you're talking okay, we're gonna swing and they're gonna come at a reasonable price. If I could hand pick anybody out of this free agent class that'll be Landeskog, but I'll bet the house he resigns in Colorado, so it won't matter anyway. Kyle Williamson says I'd say if we hadn't missed Burt for the majority of the season and Fabry for quite a bit, we could be uh five hundred, which is just four more wins. That's mediocre middle, playoff fringing. I don't think we're good, but that's not horrible. If we still hate Blash, are we just not that bad or lucky? I mean, we talked about it in the offseason. No team added more value in free agency and trades than the Red Wings. No team improved based on additions and subtractions than the Red Wings. So this shouldn't be all that surprising. And let's not forget, Jonathan Bernier probably should get some Vesna votes again this year. Not saying he should win it, but you know, when you're throwing the fifth candidate on the ballot, he should probably get some noms there. Um, and for all the memes we made about how bad Thomas Grace was the first half of the season, he's been pretty fantastic the second half. So goaltending has a lot to do with it. The fact that they did play just, they had good goaltending combined with unbelievably shut down defense. I mean, at the expense of offense, but yeah, it makes sense. This We've criticized Blash for a lot this year, but this is exactly what he envisioned. And this is the best case scenario for what could have happened based on what he was trying to do. Because again, we can talk about developing the prospects. He doesn't have a contract in two weeks. So yeah, he shouldn't give a shit about that. He was hoping to get where he is now, obviously a little further, but this is about how it was going to go. Third man in says, if the Wings and Tigers could trade rosters, but only while on offense, how long would it take to notice a difference? And why would it be an improvement? It'd absolutely be an improvement because Badu would have five goals in a game as opposed to Verona's measly four, of course. <laughs> That's when we'd notice right away. Um, okay, some time time for some Reddit questions. Cross Crease Pass says, why, or what do you think the Red Wings RFA contracts look like? I hope to see a lot of bridge contracts, 
I'd also like to see a four to five year deal for Bertuzzi, but it's really tough to gauge how much he's worth after missing most of the season. So I actually think that was a really, that's probably spot on as to what we might be able to expect. It's hard to really project, but Eisman has indicated that he wants short-term deals and I think that'll stay. Um, but there's an opportunity here with Bertuzzi because he's still an RFA to buy some UFA years on the cheap. So even if Eisenman plans on trading Bertuzzi down the road, he ha- has him cost controlled under the cap like he did with Mantha to get more out of that trade in the future. Um, so if there is going to be a long-term deal, I could see it hopefully happening this offseason for Bertuzzi. And if he doesn't get traded, then the Red Wings have Tyler Bertuzzi long-term, and that's a great thing. Everyone loves Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, Russell 53 says, we talk of the Red Wings, North American scouting being an area of weakness. How do you think they resolve this? Five of the North American scouts from the horrible 2017 draft are still on staff. And I haven't looked at the North American drafting decisions since and been blown away. The buck stops at Draper and Eisman, right? Like Draper's the head of amateur scouting and Eisman's the GM. Like if they want to keep those scouts, sure. Um, I don't know these people. I don't know the, no one. None of us can pretend to know the intricate inner workings of what it's like to scout and submit reports and what they say and don't say. Like I couldn't say this scout is the reason, but it comes from the direction of, of Draper and Eisman. So if something's going to change, it has to come from there. They have to recognize the problem, and I'm sure they have. It's probably not a secret that Detroit's really not been good at drafting from North America. But yeah, I don't know if you guys have any different insight there. I mean, I had the captain obvious statement last week. If you don't have full faith in your scouts, they shouldn't be your scouts. So if these guys are continually failing and Draper and Eisenman don't see a problem, then it's Draper and Eisenman who are failing here. So that's the reality of it. It all It's all top down. Uh, Denver Law 14 asks about how can we rationalize a guy who scored four goals in the previous game, played the third fewest minutes. Um, I'm sorry for having already covered that, but hopefully that didn't frustrate you too much to hear about. Uh, Commander Rex 19, this might be our last question here, uh, says, I'm worried that the Red Wings have missed their window to get a superstar through the draft. They are incredibly bad this year and will still probably be picking outside of the top five. So unless they melt into a liquid to squeeze under the low bar they set this year and last, it seems unlikely they will get the high-end talent they need. I'm nervous this will hold them back in making the jump from good team to contender five to six years from now. What do you think? Love the show. Keep up the good work. Go Wings. This is going to be a very big conversation we're probably going to have in the offseason because there are a lot of conversations we are specifically saving for the offseason when we need content. The Pedersen offer sheet, expansion draft protection list, yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah, there's, there's a very strong reality here where you could be exactly right. Now, there's other factors that are going to play into it and we'll get into those. But yeah, this, this could be a problem. Um, and I think these next two questions were paid plants from you guys because HZ40 says, uh, is asking if we can t- talk Evan into taking Bilesma's spot next year. And Red Wings 1023 asks, is there a Brad fan club? There should be. I joined. So I don't know what strings you guys had to pull to get those questions out into the, the Reddit world, but uh, I'm on to you. What do you mean pull strings? Do you know how easy it is to set up a second Reddit account? <laughs> Brad, Brad, having Brad, you taking the time to have a burner is the probably the least likely thing in the world. I need you to know that. Yeah, yeah, you're you're not wrong. I cannot remember the last time I we logged into this podcast and like started talking. Where my Brad's answer to how you doing is <sighs> tired or isn't that like 
exclusively every day of his life <laughs> since the moment Mika was born, which I can only imagine was 11 years ago now. She is going to be five next month. Five? Yeah. Last year she turned four. What's happening? <laughs> I've been so clear to her. Stop growing while I can't see you. Uh, it's okay. If it, if it makes you feel any better, she farted into her hands, cupped it, and threw it at me today. So <laughs> She is a bully. Yeah. That, that kid runs over anyone in the room. I'm sorry to hear that she's taken after you, Brad. <laughs> Uh, with that, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. We are going to be back with you midweek, Wednesday night. There's a Red Wings game on Tuesday night against Columbus. Uh, for now, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, everyone who supports the show, uh, the FanDuel Sportsbook for sponsoring us, and our name-level sponsors on Patreon, uh, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartel on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry, Terry Driver of Evans Furkwagen, Taylor Tagel, Brandon M., Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greach, Hanali, Hassam Al-Kassem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, uh, Jacob Piranhas, Llama Pajamas, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Kalen Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Luke Johnson, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Aggressive Viper, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Connor Layton, and Evans Bingo Card, Fine, Crisco, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, as, as good as it gets, Stan Olson, Trevor Pevavar, why is Darren Helm? Thank you all so much. See you later this week. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.